The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we stated last time, we've started a new series entitled Family Matters. We're preaching on family matters because, indeed, family matters, especially in the world in which we live today. Today, there are so many attacks upon the family and upon traditional biblical marriage. We even have attacks upon gender, and gender fluidity is common today. But what does the Bible say about these things? What does the Bible say about marriage and family? What does it say about the husband's role in the marriage? What about the wife's role? What about parenting and children and how are children and parents to interact? All of these topics are covered in Scripture. We began last time with an introduction to marriage and the family, and we continue with the second half of that sermon today. My friends, God is interested in our families and his word gives us instruction on how to conduct life within the context of the home. We hope you'll stay tuned for the message, but first we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy.
that's sort of our view from a human standpoint of divorce. But so let's let's talk about God's view of family and divorce. We're going to come back to the origin of the family, hopefully in just a few minutes. But turn with me back over to the book of Genesis for a moment, the second chapter. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 21, we'll just go there because there's a little bit leading up to it, but we're going to go there. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21, we find here the origin of the family, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. But right now, I just want us to get the idea here and the understanding that God created the family. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And... You see what Adam said. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, this man, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You know what's happened right here? God has performed the first marriage and he has created the first family. And I want you to understand something. Before there was a church, there was a family. Before there was a school, there was a family. Before there was a business, there was a family. Before there was a government, there was a family. There's something about the family then that God must think is important. Because He created it and established it first. In fact, I believe you'll see throughout the Scriptures and throughout history... That the family is the building block of society. It's the basis for the government. It's the basis for the church. Without the family, we wouldn't have church, you see. Well, let's look over and see what Jesus says about the family. In Matthew chapter 19, we're talking about God's view of family and divorce and what God and God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit all together. They agree in one. So what does God the Son say? What does He believe about the family and divorce? In chapter 19, Jesus is preaching to them there in Galilee. And He came to Jordan, uh, Judea there around Jordan. And we're told in verse 3, The Pharisees came unto Him, tempting Him and saying unto Him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now let me stop there and say this. I often hear those who promote this idea of what they call marriage equality, which really just simply means changing the definition of marriage from a union between a man and a woman to a union between a man and a man or a woman and a woman or anything in between there, okay? They'll say, well, Paul had a thing about homosexuality, but Jesus didn't say anything about marriage. Paul just had a little, he had a little uh, uh, bee in his bonnet about it, but Jesus didn't. Look at what Jesus just said. In the beginning, God made them male and female, Okay? And he says, if you go on down to uh, 
verse 8. Well, let's keep reading here. He says, and he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus is quoting with approval what Adam said in the garden when the woman was given to him to be his wife. And he says, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And then they bring him to the question they really were going to ask. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? <laughs> and that's been a question that's plagued God's children and the church throughout the ages. And here's what he says about that. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. There's a lot we could say about that right here. But the point he's making here, I don't believe, is to tell us, is to, is to give us a complete treatise on marriage and divorce and remarriage. But what he's saying to us is this. He's getting the point across. Jesus does not like divorce. Okay, Jesus does not like divorce. And I realize there are reasons that it happens. There are scriptural reasons for it. But when we're looking at God's view of family and divorce, God's purpose for the family is that it stay together. That's God's purpose. Jesus' view of family is that he believes the family ought to stay together. He said, what therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. Let's go back to Malachi. And we're going to see something pretty blunt, if you will, and pretty direct, but it's important to, to know what God thinks about, God the Father says about divorce, and of course they're on the same page, but I want you to notice in chapter 3, chapter 2 rather, about Malachi, there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on in Malachi, and we're not going to cover it all, but just understand that he starts off explaining to the Jews there that he loves them, and the reason they know, they can know that he loves them is that he that he loved Jacob and hated Esau, and they're just like Esau. <laughs> There's no reason he should have treated them any differently except he loved them. But in Malachi chapter 2, he's calling the priests particularly to account. And he's, first of all, he, he, he gets on to them for marrying outside of Judah. He's marrying the daughters of these uh, idolatrous priests. And and he said, you shouldn't be doing that. shouldn't be mixing uh, that, that idolatry with the true worship of God. But then down in verse uh, 13, he says, and this you have done again. In other words, this is something else you've done. Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. These priests, even what they're offering, he's not paying any attention to it. He says, yet ye say, wherefore or why? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did he not make one? And did not he make one? And yet had he the residue of the spirit? Wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. What was happening here was even these priests were treating marriage very flippantly. It didn't matter if they got tired of their wife. They would just decide, oh, well, I'm just going to find me a new wife. I'm, you know, Moses gave us a bill of divorcement. We can legalistically find a way to get out of it. So I'm just going to put her away and get me another one. 
Some of them were even committing adultery, apparently, fornication against their wives. You know what God said? He said, I made you both one. In verse 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. That putting away there is divorce. He hates it. He said, I hate putting away. And he goes on to tell them that you're covering your violence with your garment. You're trying to hide the violence that you're doing to the family by just jumping from one relationship to another and putting away your wife for no reason and even running around on your wife. God hates divorce, you see. That's not God's purpose in creating the family. Now, remember what I said. We've all been touched by it. This is not about condemning anybody for what's happened in the past, but it's about us understanding where God is on that situation and how are we going forward from here. God loves family. In fact, we see now as we begin to look at the origin of the family, where it comes from, we've already said God created it, right? God is the source of the family. Why is that, Bob? Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think God decided to create a family where he put a man and a woman together in a, in a physical and spiritual and emotional union to where they could then have children and, and, and have a, you know, a bigger family than just them if, if the Lord blesses them in that way? Why do you think he did that? I believe it's because God is a social God. You know, God is God. He could, have, he could choose to he, he could appear in any form that he wants. But he chooses to, to exist as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He chooses to, to exist in a way that, uh, that, that proves that he's a social creature. He, you know, one of the worst things that happened to Jesus on the cross, one of the worst things that happened to Jesus on the cross is that he was separated from the fellowship of his Father and the Holy Spirit. That was one of the worst parts of the cross, I believe. Because he's a social God and he is, he loves fellowship. Okay. Back over in Genesis chapter two again. In Genesis chapter two and verse 18. We'll back up there and read. He says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. You know why God said that? He said, because I'm not alone. I've got my son and the Holy Spirit here, okay? I mean, why did God create man in the first place? He didn't need us. He didn't need anything. He's complete within himself, perfectly, perfectly perfect, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, no need for any of us. Look, all he's got out of us is troubles, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm not an asset to God most of the time. <laughs> I'm not, I'm most of the time I'm tearing down something about the kingdom instead of building it up. Most of the time God's having to forgive me for something I've done wrong. I'm not adding anything to God, but for whatever reason, he chose to create us, I believe, because he desires fellowship and he desires it with his creation. We're told that the Lord's portion is his people and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. You know, I'd be thinking, if I was the Lord, I'd be thinking, man, I'd be glad when these people are gone and I can just have the old world itself. Maybe things won't be quite so bad. But God said, I'm not looking to inherit the world. I'm not looking to inherit the universe. I'm looking to inherit my people. The people that I chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. One day, 
Jesus will stand before God in the portals of glory and he'll say, behold, I and the children thou hast given me. Isn't that something? He loves his children. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he desires fellowship and he desires fellowship for us. Now, now let me say this quickly and, and, and make sure you understand what this does not mean. This does not mean that all people must marry. Okay? This does not mean that everyone must marry. Back over in Matthew, and keep your finger in Genesis there. Back over in Matthew, where we just were in the 19th chapter. Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce, and we've already read what he said about divorce. In verse 10, in verse 10, he says, His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry. They always, you know, like we all do, they go to the extreme, right? Well, if that's the case, it's just better not to marry. No. But notice what Jesus said. He said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it's given. You're going to read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm not going to go there this morning for lack of time, but you go read it sometime in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul says it's better if you remain unmarried because you can serve God better if you're not having to worry about your wife or husband. And there's truth to that. There's truth to that. If I didn't have to be concerned about making a living and providing for my family, I could spend all my time focused on the kingdom of God. But I'm in the category of those that Jesus said here in verse 11, all men cannot receive this saying. You think I'm a mess now. If I wasn't married to my wife, good grief. I don't know what I'd look like. <laughs> I don't know what I'd be like. Y'all couldn't put up with me, I can tell you that. You don't know how much she fixes me, you know? You just don't know how much my wife makes me better than I otherwise would be. See, I'm in that category. I couldn't receive this saying save they to whom it's given. But notice in verse 12, he says, there are some eunuchs, that is, people who will not marry, men in this case, which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, it was forced upon them. But notice this, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he's not talking about physically mutilating their bodies, but he's saying there are those that have decided, like the apostle Paul, I'm not going to marry. I'm going to devote all my time to the kingdom of God. My point again is that when he says it's not good for the man to be alone, that doesn't mean every person must marry. But it does mean that for those who need to and want to, God has provided a way. And by the way, right after he said it's not good for the man to be alone, in verse 19, it says, Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And that's an interesting scenario there to see, to think about. But, but, but I want you to notice the purpose. Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet or appropriate for him. Adam needed a helper that was appropriate. He needed a helper that was suitable. And there wasn't one among the animals. And I want to say to you, child of God, when we start elevating animals to the level of humans, we've got problems. Amen. I, I love my 
Well, most of my dogs and cats. I love most of the pets we have. But they're not men and women. They're not, and they're not babies. And when there are more people trying to protect dogs and cats than little innocent aborted babies, we got a problem in our nation. But that's another message altogether. God is the, but notice here, God is the source of the family, okay? God is the source of the family. And because he's the source of the family, he's sovereign over the family, okay? That, you know, he created it. He gets to define it. He gets to do it the way he wants to do it. And what we've just now been talking about, it is, this is what it's not. It's not a relationship between man and beast. Pets are wonderful, but they're not human. It's not a relationship between men and men. It's not a relationship between women and women. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay, I've heard that before. But what it is, is a union between Adam and the one part of creation that God said was most appropriate for him. Remember what we read. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took one of his ribs. He, he made the woman. And Adam said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. You know, the question has been asked many times lately. And I can't even believe. I, I look back, by the way. The last time I preached on this topic was in 2013. And I preached several sermons about it then. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, it never occurred to me to ask the question or try to define the answer the question, what is a woman? But you know, I've got to answer that question today. What is a woman? Because now, we don't, we don't have two genders. We have, I forget how many, it's multiple, multiple genders out there that are being promoted. Gender fluidity. And in fact, the question, what is a woman? There's many experts out there that can't answer it. I'm going to answer it for you right now. Right here, right here in the scripture, we read about a man named Adam who was put to sleep and God took a rib and he created a woman. You know what a woman is? A woman is a biological female. That's what she is. Who was created out of the man to be the helper, the companion to, the partner to man. And not some other fluid gender identification out there. The woman was created out of the man. And by the way, again, many of our contemporary philosophers and doctorates out there they say, well, Jesus didn't really speak to it. You know, I just read to you in chapter 19 of Matthew. He said in the beginning, he created them male and female. There's your genders. There's your genders. That's the two and only two. And by the way, let me just say this as we bring this down to a close. God is satisfied with the family. God's satisfied with the way he created it. See, marriage didn't come about through some process of social development or it's not some evolving, convenient arrangement to help society. And because of that, it doesn't need to be tweaked. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be taken away from. 
You notice that Eve was not just Adam's significant other. Eve wasn't Adam's live-in companion or domestic partner. Eve was his wife. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The book of Hebrews over there, you don't have to turn there, but you can turn and read it sometime. In the 13th chapter in the fourth verse says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And you know something else about marriage and the family? You remember, we just read about when it was created, but have you noticed the timing of when it was created? It was created in chapter 2 of Genesis, before the fall, before Adam ate of the fruit. It was created before the fall, and yet it has survived the fall of Adam. So the point is this, is that Marriage was good for man before the fall, without sin, and marriage is good for man after the fall, under the curse of sin. See, God created it. God is satisfied with it. He approves of it. He does not approve of any other arrangement. There's more I want to say about marriage, about its purpose. We may come back to that a little bit next time. But ultimately, there's, there's many purposes. You know, there's an emotional purpose. There's, there's a purpose of society. You know, God, God filled the loneliness in human beings by giving them suitable companionship, okay? Uh, there's societal purpose. It's for bearing children and the propagation of the species. There's, there's a physical purpose for marriage. You know, we just read that the bed is undefiled, okay? But he goes on to say, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Fornication is not approved by God. Anything outside marriage is not approved by God. But most importantly, there's a spiritual purpose for marriage. You know what marriage is supposed to do? Marriage is supposed to set forth an example of Christ and His church. As we bring this to a close, look with me over in the book of Ephesians for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 5, which is a sort of a restatement and elaboration of Colossians chapter 3. When he gets to the, to the husband's duties, in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He goes on to repeat what Adam said there in the garden, proving once again to us that the family survived the fall of Adam. But notice what he says here. Husbands, we're going to get to you in a, at some point in this series that the Lord will tarry and be our helper. You know what kind of love you're supposed to have for your husbands? You're supposed to have Christ-like love. And that your marriage is supposed to reflect Christ. That's one reason that God doesn't like divorce. Because when, when, when two people, especially two children of God, marry and then get divorced, it, it sends forth the message that, well, Christ could divorce his church. But Christ is not going to divorce his church. Now, I know we, aren't, we're not, we don't get it right. And, 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 and we've messed it up in so many ways. But the ideal is what we're talking about here. 
The, 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 the perfection that God set forth in the pattern for marriage is that we are to reflect the love that Christ has for his church and the way we love our wives, the wives submit to their husbands, and to reflect the uh, love and devotion that the, that the uh, church has for her bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we get it anywhere close to right, and we won't get it all right, but wherever you are in your life right now, whether you're divorced or you're married or you're remarried or you're single or you're looking to get married or you're never going to get married, if, if we can promote the idea of the family as more than just me and you. See, it's more than just about me and Sherry. There's things I do that she ought to kick me out for. I can't think of anything she's done that I ought to kick her out for, but there's things that easily could have broken up our marriage, okay? But it's not about us. It's not about you, child of God. It's about showing forth the love that Christ has for his church. And see, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And you say, preacher, I've messed up. My family's not perfect. Mine's not either. But you know what? We're just going to have to keep striving to reach that pattern and to achieve that result of deeper and deeper discipleship and if we'll do that, then things will be all right. I was, I'll leave you with this. Husbands and wives, because we're going to start that next time. I want you to think about your relationship as a triangle. You got the husband here, the wife here, and God here. God is the apex or the tip of the triangle, okay? What happens is, you know, you can't fix your husband, Wives, husbands, you can't fix your wives, but you can fix you. If you're a child of God now, I'm talking about, you've been born again, you can get better, you can better yourself. What happens as you both try to better yourselves and you get closer to God? What happens as you get closer and closer to God? You see, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other in your relationship and in your marriage. And that's what the purpose of Paul's writing here is. That's what the purpose of my preaching here is, is that we all, including yours truly, might learn better and better how to please God in our marriages. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.